If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you come to think of it, almost all human behavior and activity is not essentially any different from animal behavior. The most advanced technologies and craftsmanship bring us, at best, up to the super chimpanzee level. Actually, the gap between, say, Plato or Nietzsche and the average human is greater than the gap between that chimpanzee and the average human. The realm of the real spirit, the true artist, the saint, the philosopher, is rarely achieved. Why so few? Why is world history and evolution not stories of progress but rather this endless and futile addition of zeros. No greater values have developed. Hell, the Greeks 3,000 years ago were just as advanced as we are. So what are these barriers that keep people from reaching anywhere near their real potential? The answer to that can be found in another question, and that's this. Which is the most universal human characteristic? Fear or laziness? Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it just is. It just is. Especially when we have pushed aside fear and laziness, embraced an existence of passion, a dedication of fighting the good fight against all that is counterfeit and illusionary. A commitment to exploring our inner worlds of wonder and adventuring beyond the stars to make contact with the alien god. Guess for you, uh, politically correct, I should call him the undocumented deity. You're from the 60s. Well, you actually... Oh, hey! Back to the 60s. Wait a Back. second. There's no place for you here just... in the future. Ah, heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it just is, here at AM Bytenostic Radio. Welcome, you spiritual entrepreneurs, you Johnny Cash Bodhisattvas, you modern-day Tom Sawyers, your mind not for rent to any god or government. You are the final authority, have always been. Shining crazy diamonds with the ability to become the best version of yourself. Enough with the maimen masturbation and being the hero of a thousand facials. Let's get out together. Birth is a curse and existence is a prison. 
and I'm with you every Via Dolorosa step of the way. I, your host, Miguel Connor, your pompadus of gnosis, and that madman across the waters of creation. Let's get out together without fear or laziness, having so much fun with heresy. What's the meaning of the universe? What's the meaning of a flea? The, uh, it's just there. That's it. And your own meaning is that you're there. And we are so engaged in doing things to achieve purposes of outer value uh, that we forget that the inner value, the, the rapture that is associated with being alive is what it's all about. An individual who has made heresy so much fun for decades who has brought out the esoterica to a larger audience like a shower of red pills, is Lon Milo Duquette, a reoccurring past guest and magician extraordinaire in a world where magic has gradually been snuffed out by the vagaries of hating angels. And this quote by Tom Robbins from Even Cowgirls Get the Blues describes what Lon has stood for and fought against for so many years. It goes, Disbelief in magic can force a poor soul into believing in government and business. God damn it, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars, advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. Well, fuck government and business. And thanks for everything you've done, Lon. And thanks for materializing at the virtual Alexandria to discuss your latest book. Allow me to introduce An Insider's Guide to the Occult. Great read that reveals Lon's remarkable journey through the many levels of heterodox traditions and how they have evolved in the last generation. Insights galore, my beloved true seekers, and more than a shower of red pills, it's a red pill suppository you need up your rectum of materialism right now. The illusion of freedom will continue, as long as it's profitable to continue the illusion. At the point where the illusion becomes too expensive to maintain, they will just take down the scenery, they will move the chairs and tables out of the way and you will see the brick wall at the back of the theater. We could only do a bit over an hour due to scheduling conflicts. However, as a bonus for patrons and AB Prime members, Vance and I chatted afterwards, recapping and expanding on Lon's ideas. Also sharing our own ideas on magic, time, consciousness, and much more even getting personal at times. As a further bonus, I'll include a past interview where Lon talks about his ideas of low magic. A great compliment to allow me to introduce. And he gets personal as well about his past. And the book says we may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. What content, and what a journey Lon has taken, and what a journey you are meant to take. Please allow me to share one I've recently had. First, 
I'll quote the Gospel of Thomas, saying number 50, where Jesus says, If they say to you, Where have you come from? Say to them, We have come from the light, from the place where the light came into being by itself, established itself, and appeared in their image. If they say to you, Is it you? Say, We are its children, and we are the chosen of the living Father. If they ask you, What is the evidence of the living Father in you? Say to them, It's a movement and a meditation. Into another kind of perception where you have that sense of being united to all things, and suddenly you understand everything. A movement and a meditation. That's the key to Gnosis, as Bruce Chilton shared in a past interview. There is the meditation, where you become detached, ataraxic, and illuminated. Where you see the world as it is, and like the Sufis, are no longer of it. That's not enough, however. Never has been, you see. Even as fulfilled humans, it is our nature to seek more. No, experience more fully. And that's where the movement must come in for us to be the children of the light the Gospel of Thomas talks about. The movement is that assiduous passion, that ecstatic thrust to both overcome and embed into reality. Shape it with zeal and the speed of Mercury. Well, I'm going to grant you the greatest wish. I'm going to show you a world without sin. Yes, when you're enlightened, you still chop wood and gather water. But that's not enough. You must be completely and enthusiastically connected to chopping wood and gathering water. To any action, really. Part of the flow of life. Able to make anything mundane a complete, fiery joy. A movement and a meditation. Dionysus and Apollo, Lucifer and Elohim, a movement and a meditation. That's how you get rid of fear and laziness. Becoming a trickster god, so furious in joy and detached of care, you burn out the sun, the moon, the stars, and the very archons of this age. What's your movement and meditation? You want to understand the universe, embrace the universe, but the door to the universe is you. Me? You? Me? You are really intense. As a Buddhist priest once told me, enlightenment is just being useful. Realizing you're so bloody useful to yourself, to others, to the cadence of a cosmos attempting to unleash its light from the darkness of mere being. With a movement and a meditation, you are in the poor, but also the bubbling of the Tao. You are hell as much as you are Zen. Mankind is poised midway between the gods and the beasts. How you find your movement and meditation is up to you. I am merely a wanderer of this void like you. 
The only help I can offer is challenging your programming and reminding you that, yes, you were meant to write your own gospel and live your own myth. A gospel and a myth, a movement and a meditation. Whatever works for you, just make sure it works like I have. You must also, because you are unique, and the one thing Yaldi Baldi wants is to pin you in some mass-produced, shallow cattle system. A movement and a meditation. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. I saw God the other day. I was at a diner on a Monday night with the family. Next to us, a mentally challenged teenager, mostly blind and with only three fingers in one hand, kept peering over the booth seat and shouting at my four-year-old daughter, Ellie. She giggled and shouted back at him. Occasionally, she turned to me while I ate my gluten-free slop and said very forcefully, Daddy, this dude only has three fingers. Then she'd count her own fingers in a hand and tell me she has five. The mentally challenged teenager screamed louder in joy at this, and Ellie tittered more. It went on. Funny that Ellie doesn't know yet she is deformed too. Her foot to be more precise because of her genetic disease. But the mentally challenged teenager didn't know and wouldn't have cared. The two just cared and knew about one thing, and that was their shared happiness at meeting each other in the diner on a Monday night. I saw God in their interaction. I saw innocence and a delight of those in a movement that is completely fixed in the present, in life, without judgment or concern. And I was the meditation who had to behold this, reflect this useful news back at a cosmos attempting to unleash its light from the darkness of mere being. I saw God manifesting in the interaction of Ellie and the mentally challenged teenager. There was no fear or laziness. They were children, children of the light like we should all aspire to be. My father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. A movement and a meditation. Ah, heresy is so bittersweet sometimes. Led us to the interview with Lon Milo Duquette. Things have been tough lately for dreamers. They say dreaming's dead, and no one does it anymore. It's not dead, it's just it's been forgotten, removed from our language. Nobody teaches it, so no one knows it exists. The dreamer's banished to obscurity. Well, I'm trying to change all that, and I hope you are too. By dreaming, every day. Dreaming with our hands and dreaming with our minds. Our planet is facing the greatest problems it's ever faced. Ever. So whatever you do, don't be bored. This is absolutely the most exciting time we could have possibly hoped to be alive. 
and things are just starting. This is the AM Byte interview, and with us, as always, we have the pleasure of being joined by Lon Milo Duquette to discuss his latest book, Allow Me to Introduce An Insider's Guide to the Occult. Lon, welcome back, and great to have you. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Always great to have you. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog, Vance Sachi. Vance, thanks also for being here. Oh, I'm, I'm really excited. Lon is one of my favorite guests from past AM Byte shows, so we're going to have fun, I think. I would agree so. I've always enjoyed uh, talking to Lon, and I have read pretty much most of his books. And uh, So tell us, Lon, tell us about this book and how it came to being. Well, it was uh, 30 years in the making, I guess we could say, because uh, uh, over my long and... and uh, controversial and uh, dubious career. Uh, I've had the pleasure and I've had the good luck to uh, uh, rub elbows with some of the most brilliant and and um, uh, significant personalities in the world of uh, esoteric literature. And it's not any uh, because of any uh, virtue on my part, but just uh, blind luck of kind of being in the right place at the right time uh, during uh, uh, almost a tsunami of uh, of cultural interest in uh, all things uh, occult. But over the years, I've uh, been uh, lucky enough to uh, uh, be asked by these um, various uh, luminaries uh, to write introductions to their to their uh, books, and when uh, uh, and this is not just the uh, living authors, but the the publishers of of other classic uh, texts of uh, ceremonial magic uh, have been kind enough and generous enough to uh, uh, ask me to introduce the new editions of uh, classic texts. And I'm always happy to do it, and it gives me the opportunity to um, write relatively short pieces uh, that encapsulate and and sort of uh, concentrate and distill um, my understanding of the importance of the the work and the importance of the the author, and and put it as concisely as I possibly can and as uh, clearly as I possibly can in just, uh, just uh, you know, less than a thousand words or less than two or three thousand words. And uh, I'm really proud of these introductions and prefaces and forewords that uh, uh, I get to uh, do, and I've been doing it for, for almost 30 years. Uh, but to tell you the truth, uh, people just sort of skim over the, the introductions <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to, to a work, you know. And I, I was faced with um, 
I'm now 71 years old, and I'm, I'm lo- looking back at uh, uh, what I am proud of and what what uh, maybe I'm not so proud of in, in things that I've uh, uh, written. And uh, these little tidbits uh, are really my best stuff, and it's my in my opinion anyway, and it's the best stuff that I've written that nobody reads. And uh, <laughs> so I, I approached um, my publisher, uh, Wiser Books, and um, I told them my feelings about this, and they, and they agreed. And uh, uh, so we started the project called Allow Me to Introduce, and I've gathered up um, sort of the, I've cherry picked the, the cream of the crop of my, uh, uh, introductory material to, uh, other works and organized them along a loose, uh, <laughs> a loose uh, format and, uh, have, have, uh, published it. And it just, uh, uh came out at the first of the month. And, uh, I'm, I'm truly, truly proud of it. And uh, uh, so far, it's, it's doing very well, and it allows me to discuss uh, everything from Enochian magic to uh, Kabbalah to tarot to uh, uh, Kabbalah, tarot, and psychology. And uh, I've introduced works, classic works of alchemy, and uh, uh, of course, uh, quite a few works of Aleister Crowley. And uh, Israel Regardi, and uh, and then my friends um, John Michael Greer, uh, Donald Craig, and uh, it's it's just something I'm very proud of, and and uh, uh, something that uh, probably is only appropriate to pull off <laughs> when you're an old fart like me. You know? <laughs> no, it was a wonderful read. It's a great snapshot of. Uh... Again, the esoterica for the last generations, your life, how everything has evolved. What would you say in the, since uh, in the last 30 or 40 years, what has been some of the things you've changed the most in your views on, on the occult? I mean, I guess I should start. Do you think we even need the word occult, Lon? Because people like you kind of have ruined it because you've put it all out for the world to see. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's nothing's hidden. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's true, but uh, uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, uh, at the moment, no one's getting burned at the stake for uh, uh, <laughs> doing this, but in some parts of the world, actually, they are. Um, but uh, uh, you're right. All of the the wisdom of the ages. Uh, and the secret wisdom of the ages is just right out there for everybody to, uh, to look at. But that doesn't mean that it's, that it isn't secret because it sort of, it, it requires a certain amount of tenacity, uh, and, um, uh, focus and, actually blind good luck uh, to be able to dig the material out yourself in such a way that it means something uh, to you. So the secret 
the secret is out there, all the secret magic techniques and the the the, the different systems and everything are, are completely uh, published and available for everybody. But at the same token, they're almost more secret than they've ever been because it it requires an attention span to uh, to actually apply this stuff. And if I've learned anything, um, it's that all of the what we think of as uh, uh, the the secret wisdom and the secret teachings and the secret knowledge uh, are only the husk of what the 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 great work is, and it's and it's not something you learn. It's not something that is even taught. It's something that once it is absorbed, it is self-transformational. You change. And because you're so close to yourself, you, you don't notice yourself changing. Just like when you're a kid, uh, you didn't feel yourself growing. Uh, you only noticed it when you tried to put on your clothes that doesn't exist <laughs> yeah. anymore. And so you're so close to yourself that you you don't realize how your your work and your focus and and your 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 practice and uh, uh, the different things that. Uh, uh, occult knowledge and uh, uh, practices are supposed to do, you don't feel it working. As a matter of fact, if you if you stop and think about it, you say, I, it's not working. I don't get it. Uh, you know, a cartoon character uh, didn't actually appear in my triangle and go off and uh, <laughs> make the girl next door fall in love with me. You know, they, they, my magic must not be working. Until you think to yourself, Am I more awake than I was 10 years ago? And, and you, the answer is yes. You are more awake than anybody is almost. Would you trade places with your consciousness of 10 years ago? And most people would say, no, I was an idiot. I was asleep 10 years ago. And you can keep that up and say, would I even trade places with where I was a year ago? You no. Know, I wouldn't even trade places with my consciousness of yesterday. The point is, you don't feel yourself waking up. You just are. Just like when you, you wake up from a dream in the morning, uh, it may be a, a, a radically different uh, uh, scenario that you find yourself in. You might be in a, in a dream where you're, you're adventurously climbing a mountain or something like that. Right. Just, okay. And then you, you wake up and you're just drooling on your pillow, you know, and, you're, oh. <laughs> okay. and, you, and, and it's just quite naturally to make that shift. Well, the, the, the same thing with uh, uh, the effects of occult practices and uh, uh, the self-transformational 
uh, aspect of all of this, this study. And uh, you have to actually stop yourself and compare or try to compare where you were uh, just a few months or a few years ago before you could actually actually uh, notice that, yeah, this has been making me awaken. And, and there, there are great uh, landmarks of uh, these consciousness shifts that the uh, Western magical uh, societies and uh, uh, systems uh, try to use as a roadmap to this waking up. Um, usually you, you say, uh, use this tree of life map and say, well, I've awakened to Yesod or I've awakened to, to Tifereth. And, uh, but there are major landmarks uh, that uh, parallel the, the awakening or the, the activation of uh, uh, the psychic centers of the Hindus. It's just like you awaken to the heart chakra, you awaken to the Ajna chakra. And these have, have uh, uh, recognizable effects. And to tell you the truth, the, the technical study, the literature of uh, occultism, uh, doesn't give you these awakenings. It just, they just give you the vocabulary to explain it to yourself, if that makes any sense. No, that's really well said, Lon. I, again, for the audience, his uh, little uh, tidbits of writings in the book are very powerful. They have a lot of insight. I like in one section, Lon, you basically say, magic is not something you do. Magic is something you are. And then there's a wonderful passage, and I'm quoting from page 21. And it goes, if you don't mind me quoting it, it goes, As any magician will tell you, magic isn't anything like most people think it is. In fact, magic isn't anything like anyone think it is. Magic stops being magic when someone can explain it to you. And magic stops being magic when you think you can explain it to others. It's a real paradox, and it's supposed to be a paradox. It's still very zen. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> Well, you plucked out the gem of the whole book, right? There. <laughs> no, it's, there's a lot of gems. I have them all written down here. Before, before the interview's over, I hope we can read more. Like, for example, Lon, you had a friend or an acquaintance called Donald Michael Craig. And his advice, I thought, was very great. It said, study and practice magic, but please have a life. It's basically saying you, you can't just be out there in the mountain meditating or whatever. Yes, uh, you gotta. Uh, you should make magic your life. You should make your life magic, and uh, uh, so many very, very serious uh, uh, practitioners sometimes lose lose sight of that. So, yes, I, I as a matter of fact, I dedicated the the book to. Uh, um, Donald Craig, um, because um, uh, uh, to me he was a, a perfect example of a sane, 
<laughs> of a saint, <laughs> magician. Uh, uh, he actually had a life too, uh, and he was generous with himself. And uh, uh, you could actually see the effects of his study and practice on how uh, uh, it balanced his life and how it enriched his life. And uh, uh, it sounds it sounds corny to drag in the word love, but uh, it isn't corny. Love is a uh, is a force, is real and is tangible, and as powerful as gravity or electricity or or anything else. And uh, of course, technically, that uh, that tree of life map that we're always referring to uh, uh, the, the, the very central uh, psychic center is uh, the one of the heart, uh, Tifereth, or number six on that tree of life, um, which is, for all intent and purposes, the, the love feedback uh, uh, awakening that... Uh, in Western mysticism, uh, we call the, the knowledge and conversation of the holy guardian angel. Um, and, and you've actually got to be there before you can uh, effectively do, uh, continue to do any kind of, of true magic. You, you have to be operating from that consciousness uh, platform. So it's, it, it's an important thing. So you should, uh, uh, if your magic isn't making you more balanced, if your magic isn't making you happier, if it isn't making you a better, uh, uh, a better, more balanced individual, then your magic isn't really magic for you. Uh, uh, do whatever you need to do <laughs> to get balanced, uh, to, uh, uh, to get to that place and, and then proceed with your magic, uh, so many people in the in the magical field um, put the cart before the horse. People talk about how magic has benefited them, but what about through the bad times? How has magic helped you in through the hard times, Lon? It hasn't. No, it hasn't. <laughs> well, there you go. Shortest question in history <laughs> or answer. <laughs> no, no. You know, some I always get the question, especially on on uh, radio shows. Um, well, if your magic works, why aren't you rich? <laughs> you know, why why are you so oh, yeah, yeah. Why are you so broke that you have to uh, uh, read tarot cards? Why are you so broke you have to peddle your 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 books and and plead for people to? to buy your books and joke that you've made no further provisions for your family's future. And, and uh, so if magic works, why, why aren't you rich? And uh, I don't really have a good answer other than that I'm 71 years old. I live very modestly. Uh, in a part of the world that many people consider paradise. And I don't have a, 
I don't have a, a fancy car. I've got a 1984 Volkswagen van, but it gets me every place I need to go. I've never owned a new car. I've never owned a house. I've never had a credit card. I've never bought anything on credit. My expenses are rent and food. Uh, I live simply. I've got a beautiful wife of 52 years. Got a wonderful son who is a, a professor at the University of Macau, China, and we're worried at the moment. For all intent and purposes, I'm the richest guy I know. And I also know what a complete screw-up I can be. <laughs> now, if that isn't a miracle, that, that this selfish, stupid screw-up of a, of a guy could manage somehow to have an existence for so many years. Uh, like that, I have to say that's a freaking miracle. And I'm not saying that my magic has done that, but the, that life has allowed me to pursue the magic and the magic has allowed me to pursue that life. And uh, I kind of think that that's, that's more the, the, the thrust of what this discussion should be about. Uh, what, what does it mean to have a life, to be, to be, uh, uh, to have a relative level of happiness that allows you to be relatively creative? And, uh, uh, actually, uh, in some small way, justify my existence. Well, Lon, uh, what about, um, the mastery of yourself? Isn't that the greatest magical feat? And seems that you have done that, you know, despite all these things that, you know, get in our way in the material world, you have, um, overcome those things. Is that a valid thing to say? Uh, well, I'm in the, I'm in the process of it. Yes. We can't say that I've overcome everything because I, on one level, I still feel is, uh, completely inept and, uh, uh, bumbling through life, uh, as, as I've always felt. But relatively speaking, uh, <laughs> you're, you're correct. Uh, I don't think you ever come to a point uh, with your meat brain where you can where you can actually say, "Yeah, I've made it. Okay, I've I've mastered myself." I, I, I'm afraid your <laughs> I'm afraid your meat brain uh, isn't isn't enough of to make that judgment. Yeah, I didn't mean to be that extreme. Uh, <laughs> like, oh yeah, you've 
perfected life. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's why we need magic, right? Because we're in this meat brain situation. Yeah. They're made of meat. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. And Lon, um, I love one part of your book. You uh, were talking about Crowley and you said you were a failed yogi, musician and so forth. And you were seeking, you got into Crowley and you said your friend Bob said, uh, people are telling you, stay away from Crowley. He's a Satanist. But your friend Bob said, well, he's a Satanist, but a good kind of Satanist. So <laughs> yeah. that was pretty much your entryway into Crowley, huh? <laughs> it was. And I'm happy to say that Bob is still uh, uh, still with us and One, still a, a magical being in my life. He was at our house on New Year's Eve. So he's quite a, you know, we all have uh, people in our lives that are actually more than friends. You, we would actually have to say they're magical beings, that uh, uh, they show up at pivotal times of your life and uh, do just small little things that more or less uh, uh, keep pointing you in the right direction. And Bob's one of those. Wonderful to hear. And Well, this brings me to somebody else who's also been a part of your life, uh, a few months ago, uh, we had an interview with Rodney Orpheus, and I asked him, uh, well, what do you think of these kind of strange, politically correct times when people are trying to uh, dismiss or uh, cancel Aleister Crowley because he was a human being in the past who had who made mistakes and had strange views? And Rodney Orpheus basically had sort of the same attitude you had in your book. He says, look... If I knew Crowley, I wouldn't want to hang out with him back then. I just wanted his gnosis. Yeah, that's... that's you feel the same way, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know I would have probably... Um, well, who who knows? Because uh, uh, if I'd have been alive when Crowley was alive, I would have uh, also been um, uh, a child of, of the same era. So who knows what I would have... Uh, would have thought, but uh, 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 have you ever been around geniuses? Uh, gee, they're, uh, I mean, a real bona fide uh, genius. If you've ever been, uh, uh, yeah, not just a genius, but an entrepreneur genius, those are the worst. <laughs> And they're and they're they're so focused on on uh, their great work, I guess, uh, that everything else takes a second uh, takes second place. Uh, uh, friendships, uh, courtesy, <laughs> common, common decency, <laughs> uh, politeness. Okay, not only that, but sometimes geniuses can be dangerous to be around. Because they speak their mind, and and sometimes when you're around them, uh, they make other people upset and things like that. And um, Crowley was a genius, and uh, and I'm not a genius. And uh, uh, I think he would have been so uncomfortable uh, to be around that uh, uh, I would have probably had to stay on the periphery of my uh, Alistair Crowley fan club had I been uh, had I been alive at his time because uh, uh, he was uh, 
uh, he lacked certain social skills that would have just made it uh, uncomfortable for me to be around him. But still, nobody can make me laugh, can open my eyes, can awe me, can inspire me, can shock me uh, as much as as uh, Alistair Crowley. And, and I was so lucky to be able to uh, actually meet and, and interface uh, on a regular basis with individuals that knew Crowley that that uh, not only had met him but had met him and worked with him and had corresponded with him uh israel regardi um uh, phyllis seckler grady mcmurtry uh, and to be able to go directly to them and and discuss my uh concerns about uh things that I've heard that Crowley did or uh, something that I read that he said that uh, was just so politically incorrect by today's standards uh, and have them put things in perspective uh, for me. Uh, I was just, I would say I was blessed uh, to know these people and to, uh, uh, and to cut through that literally cut through that BS uh, that uh, a lot of people get hung up uh, on about Crowley. Not only that, but uh, uh, today we can uh, read biographies of Crowley. Uh, Richard Kaczynski's uh, fabulous book, Per de Rabo, um, uh, not only puts Crowley's life in detailed perspective, but also um, uh, talks about the the, the general uh, atmosphere, the milieu of uh, of all the other literary and and uh, uh, magical uh, uh, personalities and movements uh, that were going on at the same time. We've got to remember that Crowley had a pretty long career, and things that he said in in 1898 aren't necessarily things he would have said in 1946. And, um, and so when we, uh, the more we learn about Crowley, the, the more we're, we're open to uh, uh, re-examine the things that not only freak us out, but re-examine the things that we, we thought were inspiring. I would agree with you 100%, Lon. And you do state very well in this book, you do answer the question, are you a reincarnation of Aleister Crowley? <laughs> uh, no, but <laughs> but I, I've met lots of them. <laughs> yes, and there was a, a book that you and Israel Rigardi were going to write about, which I laughed about all week. Would you like to tell the audience about this book that never got written? <laughs> yes. Uh, when I first met Rigardi, um, it was at his home in Studio City, and uh, we were talking. Uh, I somehow or other I, I got off on the fact that because I uh, 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 
led a, a lodge of uh, Ordo Templi Orientis in Newport Beach. I still do. Um, and that, uh, that I've been getting letters once, once I had a post office ad- address, uh, for the lodge and it was a public thing. I started to get letters from people that, um, uh, were, were claiming to be or believe themselves to be the reincarnation of Aleister Crowley. And some of them were very colorful. And, uh, uh, I don't want to, uh, uh, make fun of anyone that, you know, sincerely believes anything about the, about the nature of their soul. You know, the, the, the people were sincere. Um, but the, they were the goofiest damn letters. And, uh, <laughs> and when I was telling him about a couple of those, he says he gets those all the time and he's been getting them for years. And, uh, so we joked. He said, why don't we pool our, our letters and, uh, put them together in a book? And I suggested that we call it Lieber Nuts. <laughs> With a Z. <laughs> That's a great idea. Yeah. N-U-T-Z. Um, and I've even got his letter to me saying, yes, the title is perfect. Um, and, uh, for a couple of years, uh, whenever he would get, uh, uh, an announcement of a Crowley incarnation that was releasing a book or something. And if it was in my neck of the woods down here in Southern California, uh, I would go to the launch party or <laughs> I would. <laughs> sent me off on these uh on these little uh expeditions to meet these Crowley incarnations you know to add to our book and um uh, he moved from studio city in uh eighty three or eighty four um uh, and uh moved to arizona and uh, the projects sort of uh got put on the back burner and of course he died in uh 85 and uh i was uh part of the israel regardi foundation uh that was uh run by his publisher and uh so we we went through his uh a lot of his effects and i i found uh, a file i found the liebernuts file oh wow but there was nothing in it. I just, <laughs> I just found the file folder, and so he must have moved it somewhere. And I never, uh, I, I never managed to to locate it. So I don't, I don't know what happened to it. So, and it was, and I got my hopes up when I saw the file folder. But uh, that's as far as it went. Mm. Oh, I was going to say no. I, I'm not. I'm not Crowley. Uh, I I never. Um, uh, and to tell you the truth, um, my view of what reincarnation is and what it isn't isn't quite as linear uh, as uh, you know the classic uh, uh, ways. Say even the Buddhists or the Hindus would uh, would look at it because. Uh, you know how much we can screw with time when we take a nap? You know how time is just screwed up when we take a nap? Oh, yeah. 
Okay. If time can be so screwed up when you take a nap, can you imagine how time is screwed up when you're dead? The, the, we exist on a very narrow plane of, of, of consciousness here. And, and ultimately, um, ultimately everything is happening simultaneously. And that, that, the uh, past, present, future way of looking at, at time and, uh, looking at space time, uh, from our narrow, narrow perspective here is, is totally, uh, inadequate to, <laughs> to, to the whole thing. So if, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think our body dies in some smoky, smoky ectoplasmic uh, uh, ghost lawn goes into the baby of an uh, of a uh, of another kid that that's being born and and uh, it's not as easy as that uh, i th i think someday we're going to just all wake up and realize we've been each other all along <laughs> oh i love it I wouldn't be surprised. And I'm with you. I'm pretty agnostic on reincarnation. I think it's probably more complex than my meat brain will be able to find <laughs> yeah. out. So I'm not too worried. But here's a question I've always wanted to ask you. Do you believe in ontological evil, evil spirits and all that stuff? Or what is your view, Lon? Uh, if... Um... Well, I can, I definitely think that there are forces that make people uncomfortable. And that, that, um, uh, but the point is, if, if your point of view is still so limited that it can have an opposite, if you're good, if your idea of good is so limited that it can have uh, an opposite quality that is equally evil, then your good isn't good enough. There is a transcendent singularity that that has is so big it has no opposite. And if we're going to look at at a, at a spiritual uh, uh, force that we would call God. That God's got to be so big that it doesn't have an opposite. So the uh, everything else below that is is trapped in a below the abyss uh, uh, menagerie of duality, and in that duality there are things that are pleasant and things that hurt. And and when you're talking about uh, uh, your present point of view about what uh, what feels good to you and what hurts you, then we can look at things like, well, what forces hurt me? Well, when I stick my tongue into the light socket, the electricity <laughs> is evil. Uh, and when I, uh, uh, you know, eat a double dip ice cream cone, the ice cream is ecstatically good, you know. Uh, but ultimately, Ultimately, the the uh, the forces that traditional magic has looked at as uh, the infernal forces or the demonic forces, if you, you want to call it that, are just that—they're forces. 
but they're the forces that that are currently uh, um, uh, blind and and undirected wild forces, electricity un untamed, um, and the the idea that uh, as long as they're they're not under uh, intelligent direction at uh, or the magician's intelligent direction. Uh, they can be harmful. But in the same way that anything in your life, including the traffic on the street, uh, get in the car, you can, it can take, transport you to wonderful places, or it could drive you over a bridge. Uh, uh, that, that doesn't make it transcendently good or transcendently, uh, evil. So, yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of dualistic uh, paranoia. Well, Lon, what would you say about quote unquote other conscious individuals who have a will to create pain and suffering in other individuals? Would that be an example of evil? Well, it'd certainly be evil with a small e. Yes, of course. Well, uh, what's the biggie then? <laughs> Could it be Satan? There, there no. isn't a big E. Okay, there isn't a big E. Uh, uh, a person that would would set out to to uh, to, to harm others is more than likely to be. Uh, uh, it's a matter less a matter of good and evil than good mental health or poor mental health. And uh, the and we could personify uh, their their poor mental health uh, and turn it into a metaphor of uh, of, of being demonic, and that would be uh, uh, that would be sort of a you know a, a magical technique to uh, uh, turn natural forces into metaphors, but uh, the uh, a, a person, the idea of a person being at the uh, a slave to a greater evil uh, in in the classic uh, uh, Christian uh, uh, heaven and hell, uh, Satan uh, being. Uh, uh, a, a conscious spiritual being almost as powerful as God. Okay, I'm sorry. Those two things, if Satan is almost as powerful as God, then your God's not very big. Because <laughs> your God's going to have to be so big that it takes, takes uh, uh, it absorbs the idea of the little God that has an opposite and, and Satan. And so the uh, everything else um, is laid in our laps as, uh, 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 you know, are we perceiving things clearly enough to actually make that blanket statement, especially for other people? And I'm not. I like your sections, and uh, you mentioned her, Phyllis Seckler, 
And I think it's great because I think sometimes, Lana, female magicians get sort of overlooked by the guys. We forget that I think we don't talk enough about Dion Fortune or Rose Kelly or Marjorie Cameron. But Phyllis Seckler seemed to be amazing. She was, as you write, your first OTO teacher. And I love how you thought you would meet this person with horns and that would eat you and all that. But talking about somebody who has uh, power magic said, as soon as she met you, she said, you've got an obedience streak in you. You're going to have to watch that. I was like, wow, that is powerful. Somebody had told me that it'd be, I don't know. <laughs> Can you imagine the, the, the awesome responsibility she threw right back into my lap? Pure magic, yes. What a spell. Yes. Uh, yes, Phyllis was my, uh, uh, my teacher. She was my, my AA, uh, uh, connection. And not only that, but her, her teacher was, uh, also a woman, uh, Jane, Jane Wolf, who, uh, was the, uh, early Hollywood actress, uh, who, uh, actually lived with Crowley in, uh, the the infamous Abbey of Thelema in Sicily uh, during the twenties, and uh, uh, yes, I'm uh, I'm fully cognizant of the power of women magician. I've I've been married to one for fifty two years. Yes, I do remember saying uh, how your wife could make you this wonderful quiche, and you told us in our last interview, and you would go into a, a mystical trance, an out-of-body experience, just by constantly making you quiche. Well, I, yes. It, well, it's more like I got too full and almost <laughs> too, too ill to stay awake or go to sleep, so, so I have to pop out of my body. <laughs> just to cope with reality and any other uh famous or uh, respected female magicians that perhaps are underrated and the world should know more about go take a look at study uh there are fewer than than uh, uh there should be that are that are known uh but just like the good taste of women they don't always like to to be the uh front and center and the 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 big show. Um, we were also extremely good friends with Helen Parsons Smith, who was uh, an old uh, uh, Hollywood Agape Lodge uh, uh, member. She was the widow of both Jack Parsons, uh, who uh, the, <laughs> the new CBS Access uh, uh, show, uh, Strange Angel, uh, is about her husband, uh, Jack, Jack Parsons, uh, the rocket scientist that has, uh, invented jet powered takeoff and, uh, blew himself up in, in the early fifties. She was a widow of both Jack Parsons and, uh, uh, Wilfred Smith, who was the head of, uh, Agape Lodge OTO, uh, first in Vancouver and then in, uh, uh, in Hollywood for a number of years, the only active lodge uh, uh, in the world, uh, Wilford Smith. And uh, she wasn't uh, my uh, formal teacher. Uh, she she was more of a what I would just call a, a, a family friend who was uh, 
who did her own magic and and um uh her survival is almost uh, a magical feat <laughs> having, having, been the, having been the widow of both of these guys and gone through the no yeah and gone through uh, uh not only that her sister uh, her sister was um uh married to L Ron Hubbard and uh, uh it was just so awesome to have this this wonderful uh, noble uh elegant lady appear at our door from time to time with two bottles of champagne she always came with two bottles of champagne um uh, and uh, and and be part of our lives and be uh, our son's equivalent of a of a godmother, uh, and I would say for uh, in every definition of the term, she was a also a great uh, uh, a great Thelemic magician. But there's 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 lots of them that who are in and out of. Uh, 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 different occult organizations and stuff. Uh, Sandra Tabitha Cicero is a, is a uh, awesome magus of a of a magician, and uh, uh, Brandy Williams, who uh, was kind enough to inter- uh, introduce my uh, uh, write the introduction to my book, uh, is a, not only an awesome writer, but she's a, a practical. Uh, 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 magician and uh, so yes uh, they're coming not coming into their own they've always been there the, the men have just been uh, louder yes indeed well let's uh, let's change it a bit and give credit where credit is due because uh, it's such a big wonderful tent and imperfect tent and there was one section Lon, I don't know why it made me sad but it's sort of going back to we're talking about how the occult is no longer hidden. It's out there in plain sight, and all these texts and rituals are out there. One of them is Freemasonry, and in one chapter you write that Freemasonry is in danger of extinction, and thus it must become a truly secret society again. Why is that, Lon? Uh, gee, I don't, I don't know. the. Masonry has been around for such a long time that uh, uh, it can experience uh, a pretty lengthy uh, phases where it goes in and out of uh, 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 esoteric consciousness and, and out of it. Uh, masonry was huge uh, from like the 1920s uh through the 19 mid 1950s uh especially in the united states various world wars and things like that uh sort of put a uh, a dent in in continental masonry and and other other places but in the united states it was absolutely huge and uh but it is such a it, masonry has such a universal appeal that it can attract a very, very big tent of interests. Yeah, masonry claims to uh, uh, make a good man better, 
and you know it does. Uh, uh, even even Masons that I know who are otherwise uh, have nothing in common with me, who are are politically totally opposite than than I am, or or have have um, uh, religious beliefs that I think are absolutely silly. Uh, still and and i i i'll say it uh, you know just because you're a mason doesn't mean that you're that you can't be uh, that you're not an asshole too <laughs> but i tell you i'm totally convinced that even a mason who's an asshole would be a much bigger asshole if they weren't masons and and uh, and I say that with with a certain amount of confidence, but the the idea that masonry can be uh, such a big tent, sometimes that big tent uh, it goes through phases where sometimes that big tent is is inspired by the the original esoteric character of masonry masonry was the free thinking uh philosophical quasi religious uh movement that gave rise to the enlightenment masonry celebrated science and logic and and uh liberty and freedom masonry was at least indirectly responsible for the american and french revolutions and the fall of monarchies around the world or around europe anyway and masonry was fascinated with alchemy, with religious liberated thought, masonry, uh, this free thinking uh, tendency of masonry gave uh, uh, rise to the Protestant Reformation indirectly. Uh, or, in other words, the the, the f- separation of, of not recognizing papal authority um, as being anything uh, other than uh, a political thing. Uh, And so masonry has gone in and out of these esoteric uh, uh, phases. And in the 1920s and 30s and 40s and 50s, when... uh, when the men who were joining masonry, especially in the United States and in um, uh, in England, were absolutely happy to start to live lives uh, uh, free of the traumas of the world wars and to return to conservative normalcy. Uh, 
where uh, they just wanted to be uh, like 1950s leave it to beaver consciousness, okay? <laughs> uh, and so the last thing on their mind uh, that they wanted to do was kind of, uh, they were sick of rocking the boat. And so masonry became a very conservative thing. It became a service organization. But it was a service organization that, that continued to faithfully uh, execute these fantastic initiation ceremonies. But they lost sight, or many Masons, the bulk of Masons, lost sight exactly what what self-transformational uh, power there could be in these ceremonies. But nevertheless, they continued to faithfully, uh, exquisitely execute these, these initiation ceremonies. But uh, uh, when I joined them, I joined the Masons when I was 50. And um, uh, when I would ask questions about uh, uh, symbols or, or emblems that I would see around the lodge, uh, my, uh, my mentors at my local lodge uh, actually would tell me, it doesn't mean anything, it's just symbolic. And I said, yeah, <laughs> how, how can you argue with that? Okay, I joined the Masons a after uh, being 25 years in a in a real occult uh, uh, fraternal organization, and I knew very well uh, what treasures that these guys uh, had at their disposal, uh, and it was like it, it it was like they were delivering. Uh, these treasures to me um, across the centuries, but it was like in a locked box that they'd never opened up themselves. And um, but they did it so well, and they're such wonderful men. And uh, 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 they would truly uh, uh, give you the shirt off of their back. They are good men made better by the craft but they uh for the most part they want to state pretty clear of the the esoteric roots it makes them uncomfortable since i wrote that just i probably wrote that 10 years ago things are really starting to change and the bulk of young men coming into masonry are now coming in only because they know it's esoteric they form little esoteric clubs. Uh, I've spoken at many of them. Uh, things are starting are starting to change, but uh, it's an old and very conservative organization, and and things take time. And uh, I'm not sure how much time we've all got left. Um, but uh, anyway, it's encouraging that uh, the new members uh, that are coming in, uh, uh, the majority, in my opinion, are coming in uh, because they're interested in uh, the esoteric aspects. They are interested in alchemy. They are interested in, in uh, uh, hermetics and Kabbalah. And uh, the few of them that uh, 
I've talked to are also interested in magic. That is great to hear indeed, and thanks for sharing this. Well, we are at the end of the interview. Uh, Lon, do you have a website? Uh, when I was looking looking you up, I see you in Wikipedia, Inner Traditions, everywhere. Do you still have uh, lonmiloduquette.com? No, well, it's it's there, but it's I, I don't really uh, uh, work off of it. Um, uh, mostly my daily blog kind of thing is uh, on my Facebook page. Uh, so, so please check in on, on the face, my Lon Milo Duquette Facebook and my Lon Milo Duquette fan page. And, uh, uh, as far as all of my, uh, my books and my records and my tarot cards and things like that, uh, just go to Amazon and, uh, you'll, uh, you'll see everything, but you can give it to Barnes and Noble. And, and if you've got a local bookstore, please, patronize your local bookstore even before you go to uh, uh, get something on online because uh, your local bookstore needs your patronage. Agreed. And can uh, reincarnations of Aleister Crowley join your Facebook or have they been banned? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you're, you're blocked. <laughs> yeah, Lieber Nutz. I, I want to see that book come out one day. I, I hope it does. But uh, we all have our we all have our dreams. Well, we're at the end, and I, for the audience, I highly recommend. Allow me to introduce. It's a great book. We've only scratched the surface, but we're at the end. First, I'd like to say, Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company on this wonderful journey. Oh, it's been a privilege, and uh, Lon. I am very happy to have met you here on Ambite Radio and uh, to talk to the great Babylon, the mystery <laughs> Babylon. <laughs> yes, oh, indeed. You. Well, Lon, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure when you come on Ambite Gnostic Radio. Thank you guys for ha having me on. And um, I, I guess I just talk too much. Oh, no. It was a wonderful interview. We appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. why we're we're here and you're here. Yes. Thank you very much, Lon. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, guys, for the opportunity. And there you have it, my beloved Truth Seekers. Our interview with Lon Milo Duquette. Always honored to have him at the Virtual Alexandria. As mentioned, we could only do a bit over an hour due to scheduling conflicts. However, as a bonus for patrons and AB Prime members, Vance and I chatted afterwards, recapping and expanding on Lon's ideas. Also sharing our own ideas on magic, time, consciousness, and much more. Even getting personal at times. As a further bonus... I've included a past interview where Lon talks about his ideas of low magic. A great compliment too, allow me to introduce. And he gets personal as well about his past. Miss it not. And please become a member or patron at Patreon for all this heresy. It really helps grow this red pill cafeteria. Only $6.99 a lunar cycle or whatever you want to pledge at Patreon. You won't find this Gnostic content anywhere in cyberspace or meat space. 
Damning your soul has never been this cheap, but you get your spirit back. Membership includes full access to the archives with more than 13 years of high-quality interviews and full episodes of my vlog, The Abraxas Brief. You'll also get an invitation to the Inner Sanctum of Gnosis Facebook group and the new Discord channel where the conversations are really pissing off Yaldi Baldi because they're so liberating. Even support in the form of some shekels to PayPal or the USA Mail really, really helps. I also have an Amazon wish list at my homepage, The God Above Gad Dad Kim. Don't forget, you can support by buying me books like Voices of Gnosticism or other Voices of Gnosticism. I can't do it without you. In the end, I hope I am assisting you in removing that fear and laziness. Get you in that movement and meditation the Gospel of Thomas talks about. Remind you that you have always been a child of the light. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true childlike self. Hello and goodbye as always. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.